Welcome to Makers and Movers, the podcast that unveils the extraordinary journeys of leaders in manufacturing. I'm Andrea Hoffer, your host for this podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Eugen Anderson, and I'm so excited to bring her on and hear about her extraordinary story. So Eugen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Andrea. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I want to start off by just hearing about your journey, hearing about where your career started and how you became the CEO of Steam America. America's the nest. Um, okay, so my journey uh, with my company uh, really started with my dad's invention. Uh, uh, I was born in, I grew up in South Korea. My parents are still there. Um, my uh, dad uh, was a marine engineer working for a major uh, shipmaking company. So he knew steam boilers very well. Uh, so my company, uh, by the way, we uh, manufacture and distribute uh, uh, what's known as the Optima steamer. And what it does is um, it works like a pressure washer, but uh, with very little water. To give you an idea, a typical pressure washer uses about five gallons a minute or more. Uh, our product uh, uses about 0.08 gallon per minute, um, but it produces dry steam, not hot water. Uh, so that's what we do. So my dad, uh, you know, started engineering. He was a marine engineer for a you know, big corporation. Uh, and he decided that he wanted to do something for himself because he grew up in extreme poverty um, post-Korean War. Um, so um, he knew that the only way he could really accumulate wealth is to have his own business. Um, so in doing so, he started uh, by importing and um, selling pressure washers from Europe, uh, industrial cleaning, you know, cleaning equipment, basically. And um, he had, he grew, grew his business. And uh, around 2006, he had a customer of his who was a pressure washer customer, uh, but had a complaint that the pressure washer uses too much water and the wastewater from it it can become very dangerous when it freezes over in wintertime. Mm -hmm. um, so the customer said, well, can you make something that cleans this well and with heat, but doesn't generate as much pressure, um, wastewater runoff. And that's when the light bulbs went up for him because, uh, oh, hey, I know how steam boilers work. That's what I did. And I know how to make them, how to you know, design them service them. Um, so he basically retrofitted a um, steam boiler inside a uh, pressure washer. And that was the prototype of the Optima steamer. Wow. Yeah, so um, that's, that was his business. And I wasn't in that career path. I, I was in the US, um, I got my bachelor's um, at the University of Notre Dame. And then I was working in Chicago uh, in uh, advertising, actually. And uh, one winter, I went home for Christmas. 
and I helped my dad um, set up his uh, company's Google uh, AdWord uh, program. Um, very basic, didn't take me more than two hours without, you know, I didn't think much of it. And uh, lo and behold, two weeks later, things kind of blew up. So he was getting all these leads from all of the world and he didn't know what to do because he didn't have a sales team. He didn't have an international sales team. I mean, definitely not. So I was working at night, helping him with leads in English. So, that, you know, trying to uh, reply to those leads. Um, and then I had my day job. And uh, eventually I said, okay, well, I know my dad tried to get me to work for him for many years, but I do feel that I could help him. I could help him grow his business. Uh, this, you know, it's a great product. It could be used in many different areas. So that's when I decided to uh, help him or join him. And I moved back to Korea for six months to learn the product. I was in the you know, production line, learning how, how it's built. Uh, I had to build a couple to learn it. I wasn't very good at it, but <laughs> I did. Um, and so, you know, learning how it's made and also how to service the product. And eventually in 2010, we opened a warehouse uh, for North America, which was in Carson, California. Uh, so that was our lo my first location, but we're still in LA County. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, I do want to hear about your journey a little bit deeper into the company. But before we do that, could you share with us, what are some of the uses for the product, why was this such sure. an amazing invention? That you know. So that... yeah, ahead. so in, in the beginning, the, the very evident market was car wash market, uh, because it's often done in a po very populated area. Mm. Um, you know, with using steam, you can wash your car without having a permit or having the whole. Uh, wastewater uh, reclamation system uh, or running wastewater runoff. Um, so it, it, it made the, um, the process really simple and flexible for car wash operators. Uh, but the really the kicker was that you can wash your car. Well, with the right, right technique, you can wash your car with one or two gallons of water versus 100 gallons or more. So that wow. was our fir first industry. Yeah, very big difference. And uh, especially for interior cleaning of vehicles, uh, dry steam is just, just perfect. So it's having an air compressor and having the heat uh, and, and a little flow. So it's, you know, it can clean pretty much any part of car really well, especially inside. Um, so that was, there was the market that, you know, the market found us, um, you know, honestly. And then uh, when we started uh, our journey um, to have distribution centers outside the factory in South Korea, uh, US being one of them, um, we started working with dealers who would buy a product and resell. And some of the dealers have, you know, they have different industry uh, strengths. So for example, my uh, dealer in Oregon, um, He's, his existing uh, customer base was wineries. And he thought, you know, this would be great for wineries. And it turned out to be, you know, he was, he was absolutely right. 
um, and he really helped us, uh, uh, you know, pioneer that market. And um, he helped us design the prototypes of, um, you know, wine, uh, the barrel tool that we use to uh, transport the steam um, uh, efficiently to barrels. Um, so the wineries or even breweries, <clears throat> these barrels that oak barrels they use can be very expensive. So it's it's uh, in winemakers' best interest to be able to reuse them for more than one season. Uh, I think that you should typically target three to five years, uh, five seasons. And if you don't uh, take care of them properly, uh, you have pathogen issues, uh, specifically retinomyces, that will, you know, basically it, it will sour the entire batch. Um, so they want to make sure um, they get rid of those path pathogens. And also to um, you know seal up or rehydrate those barrels before um, they use them for the next season. Hmm. So um, yeah, and then the, I would say the the other big market that we I would say we are really busy with right now is food processing. So uh, food processors and they have to be extra careful with food safety. So we they they use our product to clean and sanitize food, um, you know, making or packaging uh, equipment. Wow. And this all came out of one of your father's clients saying, hey, can you, <laughs> can you tinker with this and, and make it yeah. so that it uses less water? Well, that, that's mm -hmm. really amazing. So now tell us about your father convinced you to come into the company, right? Tell us how that happened. What was your thinking process? How did you make that decision? I know you already had a successful career going on. What happened there? Um, so it really came down to uh, the impact I could make for his company versus the, the employer I was working for at the time. Um, great employer. I'm still very grateful that I had a chance to work there. And they are. They have been since then bought by, you know, bigger companies over and over. So, I'm I'm proud to say I worked there once. Um, but I knew that me not being there wouldn't, you know, uh, affect them nearly as much as me being um, at my dad's company working with for him. Um, so when I first came here. I knew that we had to localize, uh, you know, everything because there are a lot of manufacturers in Asia. Um, but the reason Americans are uh, hesitant to business with them is I don't know if we can trust them. I don't know if they understand how we do business. And like one of the key you know, differences I would say is in the U.S. we have a credit culture, so you buy product and you pay on net term, net 30, net 90, what have you. Um, I think for the most part of the world outside the US, that really doesn't exist. You pay before you ship, uh, you get your product shipped out. So that's something that I had to work on. That means that I had to be you know, sort of a bank, right? For my clients, uh, because they're not gonna pay until they get the product and 30 days have passed. Uh, but I have to pay our factory before we get the product. <laughs> so, um, you know, so that that's a huge difference, I think, uh, doing business internationally. Um, but uh, I don't know if I'm answering your question, though. Yeah, well, that was 
that's an interesting thing of what you shared. It, uh, yeah. I just wanted to know what was going through your mind when you made that shift, because you, you left a career path that you had worked very hard in and, and, mm -hmm. and made a lot of strides to go into something entrepreneurial it, with family. So yeah. what were some of the things that went through your mind, not just the risk, but in working with your family? And, and what kind of challenges have come up since then? Oh, yeah. Um, so it actually brought us closer, I would say, because I wasn't one of the kids who will call parents every other day or every weekend in college. I almost never called them until I really needed something from them. You know? So I was very independent. Um, so um, I think it like it the being in the business together brought us together because we had to communicate more often. So, you know, during those business conversations, you hear, you know, updates from family members. So I, I felt like, uh, you know, without that, I honestly, I think I would be living a completely different lifestyle. I mean, of course, but just from, you know, family, uh, um, you know, relationships, I think it would have been very different. I don't think I would be as close as I would be now to them. Um, so that was a good thing. Yeah. And yeah. I know that you had mentioned to me previously that during the pandemic, Certain mm -hmm. things happened in your family that led you to spend some time in Korea. Uh, could you talk yes. to us? Do you mind sharing sharing that story? Yeah, no, not at all. Okay. So uh, when the pandemic started, uh, I remember that day very clearly. Uh, March 15th, uh, I was in a hospital uh, because my daughter was hospitalized for some unknown virus, uh, very much like the flu, except she couldn't walk. Um, so she had to be hospitalized so that they could uh, flush out her um, system with IV. I mean, the treatment wasn't anything special, it was you know, fluid, um, but apparently flu virus can attack muscles and you know, kids and senior citizens who have you know, weak immune system, they, they could get affected by them. I had no idea. So this was happening. Um, and I uh, see uh, Governor Newsom closing down the state. Uh, I'm also seven months pregnant with my third child at this point. And, you know, um, and, you know, I'm trying to figure out how do we run the business remotely and you know, all these things are going on. And once my um, daughter got home, thank God she was okay after all. Um, we were getting, I guess, used to, I don't know if it's the right word, but we were trying to get used to the homeschooling and working remotely, you know, all the new norm, norms. And um, my husband um, had this severe headache and all of a sudden, and he just stuck, he couldn't function unless he is lying down. And so that went on for about a month and of course, uh, seeking for medical help was very difficult at the time because everything was sort of a remote virtual consultation. I um, mean, it took over a month to get an MRI for him. And 
Uh, make the long story short, he was diagnosed with something called CFS leak. And that's basically uh, your you know, brain fluid leaking from where it's supposed to be. Um, so uh, he needed a surgery, brain, a brain surgery. And uh, it was not easy to get a, um, uh, you know, a surgery date at UCLA at the time. Oh, I mean, it was everywhere, anywhere, I think, because um, of COVID being so new. And um, Korea at the time uh, had already seen some cases, but they were handling a lot better than I would say we did in the US. Um, so things were still open. Uh, they had a lot, a lot of restrictions, but things were open. People were still going to school, working. Um, so I called my dad and he said, just come to Korea. So uh, thankfully the doctor in UCLA had a, uh, a friend or peer uh, from a surgeon neurosurgeon in um, Busan, South Korea, where my parents live. So, we, you know, we flew to Korea without, like, like, you know, I think I made a decision and we flew like two days after that um, with two kids. And uh, we ended up, uh, you know, living there for a year and over a year because um, after my husband got better after getting the surgery, when we were ready to return on uh, the fall of 2020, uh, the school wasn't open in California. So I had to make a decision, like, do I go back? And I, I can't keep homeschooling and running business at the same time. So uh, we decided to stay put in Korea where kids could go to school. And I, you know, tried to run the business remotely, but <laughs> didn't I think that I was kind of fooling myself. So I had to um, delegate a lot of things to my staff. And I think of that now, looking back, it was a uh, blessing in disguise because I think I used to be a more like a very micromanaging uh, managing type of like I do it myself type of boss. Um, like I work really hard, but I don't think I was a good manager or leader. Um, but through the experience, I had to do it. I didn't have any other options. I relied fully on my staff to run the business. And then whenever something came up, we will find time to talk. Um, over time difference. Um, and yeah, so that was, you know, I, I mean, for my personal life, it was, <laughs> it was, it was yeah. crazy. And like, you know, because I also had a baby as soon as I, you know, on like two weeks after my husband got up surgery, I had a baby too. So it, there was a lot going on personally, yeah. but really like, I think through the experience, I had no choice but to rely on my staff. And that was the start of my journey of like, yeah, let's you know start building a team managed company. Mm. Incredible story. When you shared that with me the other day, I was like, wait, I, I have to bring this story to my listeners. <laughs> I, even hearing it again, I'm, I'm just awed. And, and I love that you take a lesson from it, right? That you see mm. some sort of wisdom, some sort of blessing from it. And I did ask, before, I want to make sure the listeners know both your your husband is doing well now, right? You had said. Just yes. want to make sure we, Thank you. Um, that yes. we um, mentioned that. So tell me now, you learned how to delegate at a necessity. Has that continued? Have you found a different leadership style for yourself as you continue, you know, now that you're back in, in California, correct? Mm -hmm. yeah, how yeah. how do you manage your team now? How do you lead them? What kind of leader are you? 
Um, I think I'm, I still have a lot of work to be, <laughs> I still have a lot of work to get done uh, in terms of improving myself as a you know, leader. Um, we all do. I, though I, I, I think, though I, I trust my staff um, and also letting, you know, letting, you know, let go, right? <laughs> uh, sometimes things are not going to be done perfectly. Sure, if you did yourself, you might have done it better, but, you know, um, you can't be everywhere. So I guess I take less stress from knowing that, you know, things do sometimes fall through the cracks or not done exactly the way I want, but I'm okay with it now. I guess let's just put it that way. <laughs> That's great. And, and what do you look for in your team members? Um, being a small business, um, you know, I'm glad you asked the question because uh, we are, we have open positions right now. And we can, <laughs> we can share those as well. But, uh, so let's explore what, you know, who's a good team member for you? Who, what kind of um, characteristics, what, what kind of culture do you have? Who would be a great person to join mm -hmm. your team? I think uh, a person definitely has to be, um, you know, curious and has um, a hunger for learning and to improve. Um, we are a small company. Um, we have limited resources, even for onboarding, which I'm trying hard to fix right now, by the way. You're gonna not gonna find answers for everything, like, you know, uh, find out, like, you know, laid out in a silver prayer for you. You, you have to figure out uh, where could this answer be if, you know, my boss is not available. Um, so you have to be resourceful. Um, and I think, you know, in this day and age, you have to be uh, able to use technology. You know, you have to be able to leverage technology. I'm um, not going to say I, I need, you know, you know, uh, like I still have a lot. I don't know all the technologies, but I know enough that I need to utilize more when I need to. Um, but I always say my, my, uh, to my staff, um, one of our core values is work smart and hard. Mm. Um, so one of the employees in the past told me, is that, is that a typo? I mean, and you want me to work smart and hard? Or you mean you meant just work smart? But no, I want to work smart and hard because there's still place for human brain, like even with the AI tools coming up, um, it's still, yeah, there's still space for um, you know, human ingenuity. And that's what I need. If I just needed, you know, you know, somebody to do the grunt work, yeah, I would just figure something out with AI and do that. It'd be a lot cheaper in the long run. But I, I you know, need you to leverage um, technology, but you still need to put in, work, you know, hard work. I'm looking for people with um, good work ethics for sure, um, but who's curious and who wants to learn and improve. Um, not, you know, so that it's big. And also I take seriously that my employees are, um, you know, here for the long run. And I also want to make sure that we can provide that long-term growth, um, career path growth. So, um, sometimes I have to let go of candidates that are like really excellent, but I just see that they won't be happy in three years because I will get a lot out of them. But then I don't think they will after three years, and that's not a good fit. So it has to be mutual, long-term benefits for both parties involved. 
Um, so yeah, that I think those explain what I'm looking for. I mean, there are a lot, but <laughs> there's a long list, but the important things for me. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great, a great list. And I think it's very specific and it helps people to see. I hope if, if there's anybody out there listening and, and I do want to investigate and hear exactly what, yeah. what you need as far as positions in case there's somebody out there that might be looking. Um, I love that you talked about the need for that human aspect, the human, mm -hmm. the human brain. You know, AI is just huge, and I, I didn't plan to get into AI at all on this episode, but I just wanted to point out how your need is not just for something that a computer do, can do, but for the human aspect that puts in that effort, puts in their, their smarts, and mm -hmm. like you said, uses the technology to maybe be more productive. Um, and so I, th I think that is something that is a topic that's discussed a lot right now with all these concerns around is AI gonna, you know, gonna take my job? And, and from what we're, we're hearing from you, no, AI would not be able to replace the opportunities that you have available. Is that, am I getting this correct here? Yes, yes, okay. I agree. Why you say yes? So tell us what what are the roles that you need filled? Um, currently, I have an office management role open, who would you know this position will work very closely with me, and we have two sales positions open, and uh, the sales position um, that's new. Um, I am a bit ashamed to say we never actually had you know full out dev sales people before in this organization uh, we were able to generate leads uh, you know through just you know being present on the web and um, we, we are not particularly uh, involved with social media we have presence but not like we don't invest too much in that because we are in industrial capital equipment business and you know people are not gonna buy something because it's cool <laughs> you know it's it costs tens of thousands of dollars. So, um, you know, really we've been uh, not aggressive or proactive about um, seeking out, you know, leads in the past or prospects, but that has to change to grow the company. So we have um, sales positions open as well. And I'm assuming the office manager, that's an in-office role, is that correct? So that would be mm -hmm. yes. local. The sales roles, are they local or can they be in another part of the country? Is this a remote position, hybrid? How do those work? Um, I, be I believe that in the beginning, we would prefer to be local uh, in, in office position for better training. Um, uh, we've tried a few different things with inside sales and other positions, but I do think that people learn best in person. Similar to you yeah. when you went to Korea for six months and yeah and learned yeah. it hands I mean, on, I feel, so it's embedded in your culture yeah. already. Right, right. I mean, I kind of said like I feel like I said opposite, like oh, the leverage of technology. Um, that's very true. I mean, before COVID, I don't think we were doing this Zoom right as often as we are doing now. It's very comfortable for everybody to be uh, uh, hopping on a video chat. Um, um, but I think there's still, uh, you know, something that you cannot replace uh, by learning in person. 
um, even like, you know, even though we have great tools, I think it's a good alternative, but if I had to pick, I think still I prefer in-person learning right. and teaching, yeah. Well, we'll make sure that we include your website in the podcast notes and the episode notes. Do you have these positions listed on your website? So if somebody's interested, they could check them out there and, and submit an application? I think we have a link to our Indeed account. So make sure that that's on. After, yeah, yeah, we, we can definitely yeah. add that to the show notes yeah. as, as well. So we only have a couple minutes left, and I feel like I could spend another hour or two with you. You, you have so many interesting stories <laughs> to share. What is one thing you, you want to leave, uh, leave us with, one insight, something that you've learned over the years? Oh my. <laughs> um, I think, um, I, I guess I'm gonna talk more business. I, I think it could be some, I mean, uh, it could, I could get very philosophical too, but I think I'm gonna just talk about something that uh, I really wish I'd done and beginning of the business is that um, you gotta be able to take risks like um, I, when I started in 2010, it, it was not an easy uh, environment um, for businesses. You know, if you remember, we were just coming out of 2008 recession. Um, um, but because our product had a value, especially for those who might have just gotten a layoff, uh, but they wanted to start their own business. And I, we had a lot of those um, customers who, are who were or are still uh, new uh, entrepreneurs and we were able to break even within about a year and a half so by 2012 we were in a very good you know financial shape but then I felt uncomfortable not you know uh, growing the team that's when exactly that's when I should have done you know that's exactly what I should have done um, now that we are growing, I should have hired salespeople. <clears throat> and I still regret to this day that I, didn't, I hadn't done that. So the lesson learned here is, you know, uh, take, take risks, you know, because if you don't, you will never grow. It's a hard lesson sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Eugene. You, you've been wonderful to, to speak with today. And thank you for your time and your, your wisdom. And I, thank I want, you for Of course. And I want to thank all of the listeners. Um, if you enjoyed today's episode, I'd appreciate it if you hit the subscribe button because we'll have lots of other wonderful guests just like you, Jin, in the, in the future. And I just want to say until next time, keep, keep moving forward. And as you, Jin, said, take risks. Yeah.